If you have your Bibles this morning, and you would, find with me 2 Samuel, as we are continuing to go through 2 Samuel. And if you'd like to, if you'd also find Luke 19, I want to show you today that we are still looking at when a king is raised up. A king is raised up. And I want to read a card as you are finding that this morning. Ten Mile Baptist Church, Ignite Kids. Thank you so much for the cards and pictures of encouragement for our mommies and babies. They made them smile and very happy. Always remember that Jesus loves you, and so do we. And that is from Angels Cove and Grace Haven, Mommies and Babies. And if you're not aware, as Southern Baptists, we believe in the sanctity of human life. Uh, and I don't believe we should apologize for that. I believe that we should stand proudly that from conception until death, we believe in the sanctity of human life. We believe not only we should fight for life in the womb, but we should fight for life outside of the womb. And so uh, we partner with the Baptist Children's Home in Carmine and Angels Cove in Mount Vernon and Grace Haven, the Pregnancy Center. And uh, I would like to also thank you as a church uh, out of a thousand Baptist churches in the whole state of Illinois, we were contacted this week that 10 Mile ranked number five in their support for the children's home financially. And so I want to thank you for not only sending cards from going and making lemon shake-ups uh, to investing in the lives of the kids, but also to putting your money where your mouth is. Uh, because it's amazing how many people are pro-life and pro-family until it costs them anything. And so whether it is fostering, whether it is adoption, whether it is uh, whatever it is that it honors God through life, I want to thank this church for being a part of that. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 3, King David is being raised up to the throne. And we are looking here on Palm Sunday also how Jesus was finishing his life here on earth. And we know that he entered into the city to celebration, to joy. But last week we started because we're looking at a man by the name of Abner. Because during the Easter season, as we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Easter should cause us to be very humble. Easter is a time of year that we should reflect as believers and realize that everything that we have, that every good and perfect gift that God has given us is because of Him. And I know that you will not admit to this, and I know this is not something that you struggle with, but I do. The longer I am saved, it is easy for me to forget how far God has brought me and what God found when He saved me. I, you know, I think, well, I've read my Bible through now for the 37th time, or, you know, I spend more time praying, or, you know what, that was a, that was a wonderful church service. And, and, and even though you don't struggle with this, I know this, Pride can begin to sneak in. Maybe you've been serving in an area for so long, or, or maybe you have a gift or talent that God gave you, and, and the longer that you do it, sometimes it's easier to think, well, you know what, I've really mastered this, or I, I've really gotten good at this, or man, you know, I, I, really, I really know what I'm doing. But Easter teaches us something, that we were sinners, that we had nothing good to offer God that we were on our way to hell and the judgment that we deserved, but God. But God, He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, right? 
that He would come and die for us, that He would save us, that He would forgive us, and that He would give us hope that we did not have. And as we're looking at the story of King David, the greatest king in the Old Testament, and we're looking at Abner, this man who exemplifies pride, exemplifies arrogance. If you remember, he had done something that was wicked and sinful. And Ishbosheth had called him out about that. And Abner, instead of repenting, we looked last week that he just told Ishbosheth, I'm switching sides. And we looked at how our pride, when we are in sin, causes us to do the same thing. And we looked at how Judas Iscariot, when he had stirred up the disciples to ask Jesus, why has this woman broken this alabaster flask and poured this oil all over Jesus when it could have been given to the poor? And right after Jesus called him out, he did what? He ran to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders and said, I will betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And we looked at the danger that pride is in every one of our life, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our place of employment, whether it's us as a church. Pride destroys us. And in verse 12 of 2 Samuel chapter 3, if you would stand out of a reverence, we're just going to read one verse to start out. After Abner has threatened to switch sides and made it clear that he is the grand poobah, Listen to what he says in verse 12. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to David, saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. Pray with me this morning. Father, this morning I come to you thanking you for your blessings. I thank you, Lord, for... Uh, using us to do your work, Lord, when we don't deserve it. Lord, I thank you for the privilege to preach. I thank you for those who have sung and played. And Lord, I thank you for those who are going to teach Sunday school. And Lord, I thank you for those who give. And Lord, I just thank you for how you allow us to be a part of what you are doing. But today, Father, I pray that you would help us to all stay humble. Lord, I pray for this church that you would help us to stay humble, for us as individuals to stay humble. God, that we would stay in a place where you can use us for your glory. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. And God, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the first thing I want to show you this morning, if you're taking notes, and uh, it's always amazing how, how you plan things out and how you prepare things, and then they don't go the way you think they should. I got this morning here to church, and I was going to print my sermon out. And so I brought my laptop because I worked on it at home weeks ago, and this week it's gone. I mean, it's gone, gone. Like, search, and it's gone. And so, hey, it's not a big deal. I'm a member of Microsoft Office, right? You work on it one place, it saves it to every place. I get on my church computer, and I look for it, I look for it, I look for it, and it is gone. It is miraculously and totally gone. And so this morning... Uh, I don't know what that sermon was going to be or what God wanted it to be, but today we're going to see really what God wants for us apparently. But here in verse 12, we see Abner in his pride. And Abner literally tells David, I hope you know, David, that I'm the man that can give you the kingdom. I'm the man who controls the land of Israel. I am the man who moves and shakes everything. And I'm reaching out to you to tell you that if you want the kingdom... 
I'll let you have it. Friends, I hope that you will hear today the pride and arrogance in that statement. The land was not his, it was the promised land because of who? Because God gave them that land. God had established it as the people of Israel's land. God is the one who had made these things and put the borders and established things. And the first thing I want you to see this morning if you're taking notes is that God has a purpose and a plan. God has a purpose and a plan. And in our life, it is so easy sometimes to think, God, if I can just achieve this, or God, if I can just accomplish this, or God, if I can just save enough money, God, if I can just get all of my ducks in a row, God, I really know that that is the answer to my problem. I have realized now that living with seven women that our ducks are who knows where. I don't even know if they're all ducks sometimes. I mean, that's just that's how crazy things are. But today I'm guaranteeing that most of you are that way in your life. If I can just keep everything under my control and my influence, and if everything works out the way that I want it to and the way that I've planned it to, then everything will be right. But friends, this morning I want you to hear this, that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. He has things that He wants to accomplish, ways that He wants to work and move in your life. And so starting in verse 13, it says, this is David's response to the messengers. And David said, good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to my face. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, from Peltiel, the son of Laash. Then her husband went along with her to Barum, weeping. Behind her. So Abner said to him, Go, return. And he returned. Now Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, In time past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. Then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So I want you to see the significance of this. David says, when I got married, first of all, I married Michael. That was Saul's daughter. That was his claim to the throne. And when Saul decided that David was no longer worthy that David was an enemy, Saul took David's wife and gave her to another man. And she, for the last seven, eight, nine, ten years, however long has transpired, we don't know exactly, but somewhere, she has lived and, and thrived with this new marriage. And David says, I tell you, the first thing that needs to be made right is I want my wife back. I want the wife that, that, that was rightly mine, that God had gave me, that Saul had gave me. I want her back. And I want to show you this this morning because you say, well, that makes sense, right? Well, then that just is, that's honor. Some of you are thinking I wouldn't trade him. But anyway, that's a, a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But something had happened over that decade. The man that she had married loved her and she loved him. 
And so when they went to get her, the husband follows along behind weeping, saying, I, I don't want her to go. I don't want her to go back. And, and you say, well, Jake, this is cruel and unusual and mean. Yes, it's a, it's a broken mess. And you know why it's a broken mess? Because sin. Saul made a choice that never was ordained and approved by God, and it broke this whole marriage bond. It broke this whole situation down. And so what happens is David is saying, if I'm going to be king, I need the wife that I was supposed to have. Now, if you know anything about David, he's got multiple wives, he's got multiple concubines. He could have lived without her. But for whatever reason, whether it was selfish, whether it was political, he wanted her back. But I want you to notice something. He didn't send a messenger to Abner. He sent it to Ishbosheth. And why do you think that is? One of two reasons. One, he wanted Ishbosheth to know that Abner was jumping ship. That's, the, that's it. He wanted Ishbosheth to know that the ground and the footing that he had built his empire on was going to collapse. And friends, I don't want you to miss the significance of this this morning. If God was to tell you today, all that money that you think you've saved up, that you're relying on, that you're trusting on, a recession is coming tomorrow and you're going to lose it all. You'd say, praise the Lord, I'm taking it all out. Or if God was to say today, that health that you've been worried about, all that exercise you've been doing, Three weeks, you're going to have a stroke, and all that's not going to matter. You'd say, oh, what what is my my foundation has been pulled out from under me. But that's not how it goes, is it? That's not how life works. You wake up one morning, and you get a phone call that you never expected. You go into work one day, and you get laid off, and you never thought it could happen. You wake up one day, and a political party has ruined the economy, and the stock market has tanked. That's how life usually works. The rug is pulled out from under us. And what we see here is the significance of trusting God. Trusting God's plan for your life. Trusting God's plan for your marriage. You see, many times we built our hope on people. That's what Ishbosheth did. His hope and trust was in Abner. And when that support was gone, David wanted him to know that you're on a sinking ship. Well, whether he did this because that's what you should do to your enemies or he did it because he's a nice person, I'm going to go with number one. But this morning I want you to hear this, that if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, friends, you are going to constantly be living on an up and down roller coaster. You say, Jake, I am saved and I still feel like I'm on an up and down roller coaster. That's because even after you're saved, every day you have to spend time with God saying, Lord, help me to trust you more. God, help me to give you my fears and my anxieties and my discouragement and my depression. God, I need to trust you in these situations. And the second thing I want to show you this morning, because I want you to hear that, that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, is that we have to trust God to work out his purpose, and his plan. Because all of us today, if I would say, do you trust God, the church answer would be, well, yeah. But if you were to look back in your life, you've probably been in some circumstances where while you were in the storm, you thought the boat was going under. Or you've probably been faced with certain decisions that when you realized that you were going to have to do that, you thought, it just can't be done. 
And so you and I have to go from not only believing that God has a purpose and a plan, but to trust that God will accomplish it, that God will work it out. Because here we see in verse 20, So Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron. And David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. Then Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over all your heart's desire. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. So what happens is Abner tells him, I'm going to do this for you. And Abner shows up as a, as a victorious. He shows up celebrated. He shows up like he's the winner, like he is, he is the answer to everyone's problems. And friends, I don't think it's an accident that on Palm Sunday, we see a man who is acting like the answer, and but we also see the one that is the answer. If you see the story that we've looked at, if you look at Luke 19, and like I said, you don't have to flip over there with me, we see that on this very day that we celebrate, Jesus approaches a city. In verse 37 it says, Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Can you imagine David's army as they hear that Abner is coming? Did you know that Abner switched sides? This war that has cost us friends, that's cost us family, it's coming to an end. Can you imagine the excitement as, as the servants are preparing this feast for Abner and his men? Can you imagine the excitement of David and his generals as they're talking about the fact that, hey, we've been fighting, we've been losing loved ones, we've been experiencing losses, but, but all of it's coming to an end because someone is coming to make peace. And friends, can you imagine what it would have been like in Israel to be subjugated to the Roman Empire, to be subjugated to an to a, a authority that you did not choose, to, a, to an authority that was not the one that God had originally set up for you, and you hear that the king is coming. You're there in Jerusalem, and you're there with the excitement, and you hear the whispers, and you hear the people at the local taverns or the local uh, markets, and they're talking about, have you heard about Jesus? H have you heard about the one who can raise the dead? Have you heard about the one that gives sight to the blind? Have you heard about the one that, that, that delivers people from demons? H have you seen and heard about this man? He's coming! He's coming to solve every problem we have. And friends, we know that what they wanted was an earthly king to destroy the Romans and restore Israel to its glory. But Jesus wasn't coming for that purpose. Jesus was coming to do what? To save us from our sins. Jesus was coming to take the punishment that we deserved. And as we know from the story of Easter, it didn't take very long for the people that were celebrating to what? To turn upon Him. And so this morning I want you to know that whether you are in the middle of a storm or whether you are in a time of celebration, you have to trust that God will work it out. 
And I'm sure that as Abner came and sat at that table, Abner didn't care about Israel. Abner didn't care about David. Abner didn't care about the thousands of men who had lost their lives in war. Abner cared about one person, and that was Abner. Abner saw that his side was losing and did not want to lose his power and authority, and so he jumped ship. And friends, this morning I want to ask you something. When things begin to get difficult, when things begin to get hard, when you don't know if the faith that you have will endure, have you ever thought about jumping ship? Have you ever thought about wavering in your belief of who God is and what He's done for you? Maybe it's more like this. Have you ever looked at the situation you were in and thought, you know what, I know I'm supposed to wait upon the Lord, but I really think I can fix this. Or I think I can handle this. Or I think I can push through this. I really think that I am enough. Friends, you have to trust not only that God has a plan, but you have to trust that God will work it out. And the third thing I want to show you, and finally this morning, I hope to be done quickly today for you, is that when God works out His plan, it don't always look like the way that we would do it. When God works out His plan, it doesn't always look the way that we would do it. Because here in verse 22, it says, everything is well. They've got this big feast. They've sent Abner out to go to every town and every village and to tell all these people that David's king, support David, get in line, do all these things. At that moment, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away. And he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he sent him away, and he is gone in peace. And so if you remember, Joab's brother was killed with that encounter with Abner. And he is out, and what we know from this terminology is, probably for eight or nine days, he had been out fighting the enemy, fighting the Amalekites, and, and, and going to war against the Philistines. And so he comes back, and he is on cloud nine, right? Man, we went out there, and we whipped up on everybody. Look at all the spoils. Look at all the gold. Look at all the silver. Look at all the treasure that we have earned for the kingdom. And then someone brings him the news. Hey, you know that guy who is involved with the death of your brother? He was just here. He was just talking to the king. And I'm, I'm sure that's all they told him, right? No, no, no. Can you just imagine? Hey, Joab, you know that guy that murdered your brother? King David's whining and dining him. King David and all of the people celebrated Abner being here. Can you imagine what's going through Joab's mind? One thing, that man was involved in the death of my brother. He was the one who, as a hell, was chasing. And so look what Joab does here in verse 24. Then Joab came to the king and said, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away? And he is already gone. Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in, and to know all that you were doing. 
And so he says, don't you know you've been tricked? Abner's a wicked man. Abner's an evil man. How can you let Abner go when you know who he is? So in verse 26, and when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner who brought him back from the well of Sarah. But David did not know it. Now when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately and there stabbed him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. You see, wait a second. Everything was going as planned. David had his victory. David had his support. David had his plan. But yet Joab does what? in a moment of sin, murders the answer to David's problem. You would say, well, Jake, I've felt that way a few times. (laughs) You know, we had everything worked out and planned, and and we we had committed to make this marriage work, and then all of a sudden, someone quit. Jake, you know, I had put my faith and trust in this relationship, and man, we were we were going to solve the world's problems, and can't believe they turned on us. Man, Jake, we've got our health and we've got everything. We've got things planned and things are going the way we want to and then the doctor called. You see, friends, in those moments, it is so easy to think, where is God? Why God? But I want you to see, though, that when God works things out, He doesn't always do them the way that we would. And I want you to see the significance of this because Joab thinks David has released the wrong man. And if you're familiar when Jesus, and he's standing before the Roman government, and Pilate looks out to the people and says, Who should I release? Jesus, your king, or Barabbas? If you've ever been to the Easter program, you know that Barabbas has scared many a child, right? <laughs> but they chose Barabbas and murdered an innocent man. Here we see a death that is not done to save people, but it is done out of revenge. But even Jesus' death, if you remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he is praying, They came when? At night. If you remember, they took him and beat him, mocked him, tortured him at night in secret. If you remember when Peter was following behind, and the Bible says that he sat around the fire, and a young girl recognized him and said, weren't you with Jesus? You see, friends, sin always tries to work in the darkness. Sin always tries to root in the areas of our life where no one else knows about it. No one else sees it. Our doubts and fears always happen where we think no one else knows. Most people don't stand up during a church service and say, I just want you all to know that my faith in God is wavering because of what I'm going through. But I can promise you that it's there today on those chairs. 
Most of us don't walk in to our lost friends and family and say, you know what, I really think you should believe in Jesus because he died on the cross for you, he loves you, he was buried and he rose again, but I just want you to know that I'm having a crisis of faith right now and don't even know if God's going to take care of me and my situation. We don't do that. We put on a smiling face and say, well, I've never doubted. I can tell you that since I have been saved, I've never doubted that I was saved. But I have definitely doubted why God keeps me saved when I look at my life. I remember what it was like to be at Brown's Grocery Store, where Hux is for you people that are younger than me and don't remember that, at a revival meeting when the Spirit of God began to convict me and, and draw me, and I was saved right there as a boy. But I can promise you as a 22-year-old who had lived in a tavern, when I came back to God, every bit of doubt was there. Because why? God, why would you have kept me saved after all that I've done? God, why would have you kept me in the palm of your hand when I have mocked you and blasphemed you and ran from you and, and made a mess of my testimony in my life? God, how could you keep me? And Why would you love me when I couldn't even love myself? But what? The Spirit of God began to work and say, Jake, you're mine. And even though you weren't very lovable, that's not a requirement of being saved. It is because He first loved us. Our salvation is not because we love Him. It is because He loved us. For Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for you while you were yet a sinner. Jesus died for you knowing every sin that you would commit in the darkest parts of your heart and your life. And He died to set you free. You see, Abner died to settle one man's jealousy and one man's desire for revenge and one man's hatred for another man. But Jesus died not for one man's sin, but for all man's sin. That's why 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, which was in my original notes, says He became not only the propitiation for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And there are two ways you can look at that. One, some people say, well, John was talking about himself and the people he was writing to. I don't believe that. I believe that when John writes that Jesus became the sacrifice from our sins, that he not only became the sacrifice for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And so that means this morning, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you think you've been. It doesn't matter how, even as a believer, if your faith is wavering in what you're going through, that his death for your sins mattered. And today, if you will ask for forgiveness, if you're lost, He will save you. Today, if you are here and you are a believer, but you know that the doubt and fear and lack of trust has crept into your life and crept into your marriage and crept into your heart, then today, God's death, burial, and resurrection was still for you. Even if you're like me saying, God, why would you love me? God, why would you keep me saved? God, why would you put up with the things that I put you through? And it's because of this. God doesn't operate the way we do. Joab wanted revenge for being wronged. 
God wants repentance when you've wronged Him. That's why the Bible says that God desires that all men would come to the knowledge of Him. God knows that sin has to be punished. God punished sin on the cross. God punished sin in the person and work of Jesus even though He had committed no sin. And friends, today what God wants for you is for you to find forgiveness, for you to find hope, for you to find repentance. You see, this morning you can be like Abner and you can strut into every meeting you go to. You can strut into church and say, here I am. I am the answer to every problem. And friends, I can tell you what, eventually that'll end up getting you knifed in an alley. Maybe not literally, but figuratively. But today it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way for your marriage. It doesn't have to be that way for this church. Pride leadeth to destruction and haughty spirit to a great fall. But today it doesn't have to be your testimony. Your testimony can be one of forgiveness, hope, restoration if you will, one, believe that God has a purpose and a plan and that you will believe that God is working out that plan, and eventually you have to admit, God, it doesn't look like the way that I would have done it, but I trust what you're doing. And so this morning, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what your pain is. I don't know what your pride is. But today I can promise you this, that Jesus Christ is the answer. And just like God was working everything out to raise King David to the throne, Jesus has already been lifted up. And the Bible says that if Jesus be lifted up, he will draw men to himself. Today, that's you. And so if you would pray with me as Janice and Jamie come. Father, today I pray I know, Lord, that I have not done your word justice. Lord, I pray for being flustered and, and, and nervous and, and all the things that happen, Lord, on a normal Sunday, and let alone on a Sunday like this morning. Father, I pray that you'd forgive me, Lord, for the pride that comes into my heart and life that thinks that this depends on me instead of on you. And so, Father, I pray that your word has been preached this morning. And, Lord, that it would not return void like your word says. Father, I pray for any forgiveness. I pray, Lord, I pray for forgiveness for anything that I said or or, Lord, confusion that I had. Lord, I just I ask your forgiveness and that it would not hinder what you're trying to do in this place today. And, Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be at work in the hardest of hearts. Lord, to that person who has come here today because they had to or because they were dragged here. Or, Lord, they've been coming because it's what they're supposed to do. But, Lord, today that you would convict them of the hope and forgiveness that you can give them. Today, Lord, I pray for the person for the first time today, Lord, that's falling under conviction that recognizes that they are a sinner that need to be saved. Lord, I pray for the ones that are hurting, the ones that are struggling. God, I just pray that you'd wrap your arms around them and comfort them and, Lord, work in them. Lord, I just pray for whatever the situations are today. God, I just pray that you give us the humility to come to you, God, and say, we trust you and we believe you. So, Lord, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be here today, God, and the people that you've sent. And I just pray, Lord, that as we enter this time of invitation, God, that your spirit would accomplish great things for your glory. 
And God, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.